Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast, brought to you by Shoulder of Orion, the Blade Runner podcast. Today's episode is called Play to the Whistle. I'm your host, Richard Spanners Ready, and I'm joined by Matt Two Rumpets. How's it going there, Matt? Oh, it's going great. How about yourself there, Spanners? Yeah, I'm going really well. I mean, I'm having a bit of a laugh at the internet because people are saying all over Twitter and Facebook that this championship is over and Lewis Hamilton is the champion in waiting. Have these people never seen sports before? Lady Sports does not like teams or fans taking things for granted until she is darn well ready. Uh, sports period don't like you saying it's over till it's over. And we have many a saying about that. But if you're just looking in sheer probabilistic terms, yeah, it's it's looking very, very favorable. Uh, for Lewis to maintain his lead till the end of the championship. Yeah, but you don't walk out before the end of the game. I'm going to keep going to football analogies because there are those fans that will walk out on a match when their team is down by a goal or two. And I've seen it watching Colchester United in the conference all those years ago on cold winter evenings. I've seen people just leave and get up. But if you see something from your team, some spark of resistance, and you can see that your guys, your girls are still fighting, then sometimes just sometimes you get to see the very best of sport. Think of Liverpool, three goals down in the 2005 Champions League. AC Milan had shirts on underneath their strips, ready for the photo that said AC Milan Champions League champions. Liverpool, of course, went and scored three goals in six minutes and one on penalties. Then the greatest one for those of us who grew up with English teams uh, being banned from European competition, 1999, Manchester United coming back twice in extra time to win 2-1. Yeah, I mean, these things happen and every sports fan can point to that game where we were losing and there was no hope. And yeah, we pulled it off. But at the risk of taking the wet blanket award, 
how often does that really happen compared to the times your team is in that situation? Uh, it's worth it. You've got to hang on in there. And I hope the Ferrari fans are still up for this because it's been really great sparring back and forth with the Tifosi this season when it's been so close. Uh, I hope that they and Scuderia Ferrari themselves still have some fight left. We are an independent podcast hosted by MissedApexPodcast.com. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. This show is safe for work. We're keeping it clean here so you can play this with kids in the background or at work. We are joined by a rocket ship of journalism on his way to the high heavens of reporting. Chris Rainbow Sparkle Stevens. How's it going, Chris? It's going just great. How are you, Spanners? Oh my gosh, you're in HD, Chris. I don't like it. I know, it's amazing. It's so clear you can even see the freckle next to my nose. And alongside him completing our panel is Downforce Radio boss and commentary guru, the most excited puppy dog that's ever graced a microphone, Jake Sanson. Hello, Spanners. Great to be with you again. And big up for the Colchester United reference. That was such a big yes from me on that one. It was a hard admission to make. But yes, I spent I spent many a cold evening at Layer Road in the mid to late 90s. Oh, Layer Road. That, that takes me back a bit. And uh, hello to the live chat room as well. Always a pleasure to have you guys here. If you'd like to join the live chat, then go to YouTube, find Missed Apex Podcast, click subscribe, click on the little bell, and you will get a notification every time we go live. Matt, before the race got going, and even before qualifying, we had some news that those dastardly French people had gotten up to no good. Well, yeah, or they simply pulled one over on Red Bull. Take your pick. But yes, and the previous Grand Prix at Malaysia, that was all the talk about where exactly Marcin Bukowski would land, whether he would even land in Formula One, although the rumor was that Renault had signed him. And in three glorious months, he would begin spilling all of the secrets of all of the teams in an effort to get Renault over the top and into the uh, sharp end of the field. And sure enough, this week we've had confirmation from uh, Renault that exactly this has happened. Budkowski is going to work for them. And in three months, he's going to start to have an impact on what they're up to in 2018. Chris, can you imagine the negotiations for his contract? Hi, I know all the things. Give me all the money. It is quite uh, an amazing scenario that uh, Renault and indeed, well, the rest of the teams have, have found themselves in. And I can completely understand uh, why the teams are so upset about this, because you're absolutely right. He has got every single secret and bit of information about all the other teams that he could just hand to Renault on a silver platter. And there's been a lot of uh, debate and uh, negotiation as to whether or not they can extend this gardening league before he does start his tenure at, at Renault. But even if they do extend it to six or 12 months, he's still got so much information at hand. Yeah, Lawrence in the um, uh, chat room is just saying that gardening has been extended to six months, um, uh, according to Ted Kravitz, apparently. Uh, so there is that. But even then, damage done, perhaps. Because you would have thought they would have done most of the development work on the 2018 car uh, by now anyway. So anything that he does bring into the team would have been brought in for uh, late 2018 development and 2019 as well. I tell you what, I hope he has got a good contract because 
the teams are quickly going to figure out which things he's passed on and which things he hasn't passed on. So he might find he's got a bit of a shelf life, but you know, maybe the golden handshake made it worth it. Uh, onto the media sign side of things a little bit, Jake. NBC, I don't know, lost their contract or it's not been renewed and it's gone over to public access. <laughs> uh espn is what they're getting so uh i don't know what that means i think i think trumpets knows more about that deal than i do and what it actually means for american viewers what i'm worried it means is that the voice of will buxton will no more adorn a formula one broadcast coverage and that is shameful he is just about the voice of reason in formula one and he cannot be sat on the sidelines doing nothing next year i'm kind of hoping actually that jack nichols ends up doing something a bit more full-time on one of the other stations in Formula One. Maybe he might get Sky F1 or Channel 4 full-time or something. I don't know. And then that opens the door for Will Buxton to take over the Five Live job. I would love Will Buxton on BBC Five Live. I mean, I'm not saying I don't like Jack because I do like Jack, but I would love to have, you know, the new dream team, the new kids on the block, if you will, Jack Nichols and Will Buxton as the voices of reason in British Formula One coverage. We need him. We need him back. Absolutely. I think he is far too much of an acknowledged talent. He's not like some, you know, budding star that only a few people have discovered. You know, he is a mainstream, popular and effective presenter. And uh, we did actually have him here on the show in July, I think, of last year. Uh, There's no way he's not going to get picked up somewhere. So don't worry, Jake. Uh, What of Palmer? What of Palmer, Matt? He's gone. We thought he was going to tough it out to the end of the season. Do you think it's just reached maximum awkwardness? Um... I, I think it kind of has. Uh, the team reported that the timing of his announcement that he was gone was was due to um, his request to not be bombarded by the press at the circuit, but still have a weekend to say goodbye to all of his Formula One friends. And speaking of friends, our friend Summers is tossing it out there that he might yet be more in running for the William C. We're all assuming Massa will be vacating. Uh, when all is said and done, because he does bring a budget and because he does have uh, experience of current cars. So there's that to argue about as well. And I'm just going to sneak in and answer a question that Jake asked, much to your annoyance. The thing about NBC is they officially put out a statement saying they were giving up the rights because they didn't want to compete with the organization uh, the FOM organization itself. And that certainly has some implications for digital offerings we might be seeing in the near future. All right. Well, Chris, before we go to the race, there was some pivotal activity. We knew that Bottas was going to get a five-place grid penalty, making him far less useful in the rear gunner role. But also, Kimi Raikkonen uh, ended up with one as well. What happened there? Uh, it's a bit of a silly crash in uh, FP3 uh, at Degna 2. And uh, the damage was done pretty much immediately. And he then needed a gearbox change, which, of course, resulted in a five place grid penalty. So you would have had both of your championship contenders without their rear gunners. Yeah. And, and also, it, yeah, go on, Matt. Sorry. Uh, that's OK. Uh, interestingly enough, uh, I heard on the pre-race show that it took almost uh, half an hour for Ferrari to get the car back from that crash and that impacted their ability to reassemble it before qualifying well of course suzuka is a very traditional uh racing circuit and the the thing that came up in fp3 you know is that we saw a lot of drivers uh making mistakes and actually being punished for it for once none of these tarmac runoff areas where you go off and actually gain time somehow and 
the that then extends into you know your service getting back to the pit it's a, a lot harder it's it's less sort of well built uh, for that as it were and it's a, it's a tough part of the track as well because then you have to get across the track you have to go underneath jay all the way back through the s's as well just to get back to the pit lane I will counter you slightly, Chris, when you sort of hark back to some glory days before runoff areas and skip ahead slightly. We saw Stroll hurtling out of control on the grass, nearly hitting Daniel Ricciardo. And what saved him eventually? As soon as they hit the tarmac, that car was able to turn and stop. And tarmac lets you turn and stop. It, if if that had been a tarmac runoff area, he still would have been a passenger in that scenario rubbish right you didn't watch it because as soon as he got onto the road he was able to steer safely away and get himself out of trouble that was because the speed had dropped off absolutely yeah i i I don't think it would have made a massive amount of difference personally what you've got to take into account is that suzuka has barely any runoff area anyway we always mock we, we always had that stereotypical uh, metaphor oh hunger roaring is the monaco without barriers no suzuka is it's really quite close you've got barely any runoff area in that particular part of the course as well even if that had been tarmac runoff in fact to a certain extent because of the way that the puncture just blew the tire in that exact moment it probably wouldn't even have helped him slow down the car as much as going over the grass he probably would have actually been more likely to strike ricardo's car if it not been grass well first of all i don't know but to my eyes it looked like gravel and not grass that he went across you know what i mean it's it's the, the stuff that's off the racing line you know what i mean and second of all I got to say, if we're going to hand out props, we got to hand it out to young Lance Stroll because he could have lost that in a much worse way. And you could see all the way through the gravel gravel trap and back onto the tarmac. He was he was maintaining control and working to keep the car orientated so that he could maintain control of it. Orientated. That's worse than Botas. Let's go on to the race. Although we might have to check up on whether that pronunciation is right. Somebody was suggesting that Botas is actually closer to the correct pronunciation than Botas. So you you might yet be vindicated here, Matt. Yeah, I think his first name uh, rhymes with Valtteri. Oh, right. So he said it. I mean, I'll concede he's quite an authority on his name. All right. Well, rather than dwell on me being wrong, uh, let's go on to the race. And as always, let's ask you where the race was won and lost. I think... People were saying this was a straight fight between a two-stopper and a one-stopper. Then suddenly the heat just impacted in a way that it had not been there all weekend. Right. Well, if we just think back to Malaysia, uh, the one of the points that Toto Wolff listed as being critical for how Mercedes uh, cars did was the temperature of the track. Now, on qualifying, the temperature was 26. Race day, it was 44 and much Mm. closer to what we saw in Malaysia. So right off the bat, you would think that Red Bull and um, Ferrari, because we still thought they had a functioning car then, would have a distinct advantage over the course of the whole race. So the temperature alone was important and equally important, of course, always in a Formula One race would be the start and who wound up where over the first lap or two. And, And that was ultra critical because we had uh, Ricardo ahead of Verstappen, which uh, is a rare win for the Australian. Yeah, needed it. And we also had Ocon ahead of 
Perez, which promised perhaps some entertainment into the opening turn, but also wound up being very, very critical uh, the way things played out. Okay, then talk us through the actual start itself, Matt. Critical for Lewis Hamilton to to get through into the bit where it's single file, and he did. And it, it's sort of weird. You, you'd think that the the pole position would be on the inside to help lock that down, but it was on the outside. Yeah, it's on the outside. It's Suzuka, and this wound up being a big issue for Ricardo behind. But of course, the 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 biggest advantage for Hamilton was that Vettel's engine, uh, and specifically his spark plug or his coil pack, failed on the way to the grid on the formation lap, and Ferrari were unable to either get it changed or change the mapping of the car so that it wouldn't be an issue for him. Oh, that is tragic. And I can see it from the other people's side, you know, from Vettel fans' uh, perspective. With so many disastrous races building up to this, they're really hoping that in a straight fight, he could just take it to Lewis Hamilton. And it was set to be an out-and-out straight fight today. Yeah, it was. And had he gotten the jump at the start, which if we look at, for example, what Verstappen did to Ricardo getting ahead of him, what Ocon did to Ricardo getting ahead of him from the even side of the grid, there was a really good chance that Vettel could have ended lap one under the safety car ahead of Hamilton, except for, of course, his um, his power unit gave up the ghost. And we can talk about the reasons for that a little bit later, if you like. Yeah, spark but, plugs. When the spark plugs go, I, I remember like maybe 15 years ago, you had to sit there with your little shim and check the spark club plugs were the correct distance apart. Jake, you drive terrible cars. Do you still change spark plugs? Uh, I have been known to, although I would like to ask you, what is a shim? I've never actually heard that word before. Can you, it, it you give is, us some uh, kind of definition? It is normally a metallic, but it could be a wood device that allows you to have a set and known separation between two items. Mm-hmm. Did anyone else understand that? I don't know. Uh, I, yeah, I, I do drive awful cars, although I'm currently driving a lovely one. Uh, spark plugs in Formula One failing... I don't know. It, it just seems so petty. I mean, it's like you fail to score a goal because you forgot to tie your shoelaces. It is literally one of the most mundane components on a modern Formula One car that could go wrong. And it's kind of funny that, you know, we've had very, very embarrassing start line problems for Ferrari in two consecutive weekends now. And ultimately, you know, that has effectively killed their championship. Let's not forget Three weekends ago at Singapore, they were practically level in the championship. Now, all of a sudden, Hamilton has a 59-point lead. How the hell has that happened? Uh, someone in the chat room was saying Mercedes managed to... Here we go. Uh, Epsteiger, according to Autosport, Mercedes changed a spark plug on Hamilton's car after quali. So maybe it's not all that uncommon. Cody is saying spark plugs are cheap in comparison to getting a full service or getting a more expensive car i suppose jake uh, and uh, christopher is suggesting that what vettel is suffering from is karma you might say that i couldn't possibly comment uh, matt so he's vettel is falling uh, dramatically down the pack eventually has to retire where does that leave us well where that leaves us is um suddenly with verstappen in second place Ocon in third place because um, Carlos Sainz got very clever and thought he'd go around the outside uh, up the hill into the S's and instead oversteered into a wall. So uh, maybe not quite as clever as he thought. And uh, under the safety car, you had Ricardo all the way down to fourth. Um, and Raikkonen also critically lost three places having a go at Hulkenberg and he was run wide at Spoon. 
Can I just make a very brief point about the Carlos Sainz incident? It's hilarious that Carlos Sainz seems to think he could be Eddie Irvine because only Eddie Irvine is allowed to be Eddie Irvine. And as we know, only Eddie Irvine was stupid enough to try and overtake him, move around the outside at that point in 97, I think, when he got to the front of the queue to help out Schumacher in the championship. He's the only moron who's ever tried it, the only moron who's got away with it. And anybody who tries it since has always ended in disaster. Well done, Carlos. Clearly not a historian. And that gave us the safety car. So I had put a, a bet on three safety cars. I'm still trying to figure out now whether virtual safety cars counters safety cars. And it's a question we get a lot. How I believe it works is, yes, a virtual safety car for betting and fantasy leagues counts. But if it then turns into a full safety car, that does not then count as an additional safety car. But Matt, this was the, the opportunity that Vettel would have taken advantage of being under safety car conditions. Yeah, it, it would have been great for him if he'd managed, if Lewis had gotten away, it would have left him right on his tail. And had he been in front, he would have been well set up to to gap him off at the race restart. And and interestingly, as part of Verstappen and Ricardo battle after after the race, Ricardo said he basically didn't even know Verstappen was there because the cars are wider and the vision is worse. And we've touched on that in the past, particularly with the placement of the side view mirrors is an issue that FIA ought to be looking at. And what Ricardo said after the race to me confirms that we're seeing more collisions and problems this year because the vision is worse because the car's dimensions have changed. Is it as simple as just putting bigger wing mirrors on? Uh, yeah, or putting cameras on and yeah. going to a heads up play. Oh, just, that would be brilliant. That's a that's a great shout. There's absolutely no reason why you couldn't have a rear camera and side cameras and just have them in a little HUD at the top of the helmet. Yep, they do it in other series. That's incredible. That would work. Anyway, so we uh, we got clear of that safety car, and really that was the front settled down. And there was only really, you know, I'm trying to get in my head. Could Verstappen realistically have got past Lewis Hamilton today? And it feels like there was two two distinct points uh the first of which was probably what him catching up to catching up to Bottas I mean that was after the first set of stops because even with Red Bull having two drivers and two chances to have a stab at Lewis Hamilton really Ricciardo got taken out of that battle absolutely you had two different drivers there with two different setups as well Ricciardo was running less downforce on his Red Bull because and this is not something you'll hear very often. The drivers were complaining they had too much downforce and they were losing so much speed in that final sector. So that was you know, one element that you would have uh, expected Ricardo to actually do a little bit better in the race than, than Max. Well, but overall downforce matters to tire longevity. And in general, the faster you go through the turns, the faster you go, period. The reason Ricardo took it off was his straight lane speed was so poor. And Verstappen opted to keep it on. And if we look at the race outcome, you know, it's arguable, but Verstappen certainly had better pace in the race. I think uh, critically uh, for what you're talking about, we discussed whether it was going to be a two-stopper or one-stopper. Pirelli had said with the temperatures, a two-stopper might be the way to go. But we know that certainly at the front, one-stoppers are always the preference because who knows what could happen in an actual pit stop. And what we saw, in my opinion, was that Verstappen, once he realized uh, Ricardo wasn't going to be able to catch up and give them a proper uh, split strategy attack on Hamilton, 
because he was about 10 seconds, 12 seconds back because he it took him so long to get past Ocon. I think they pitted Verstappen early, hoping to put pressure on Mercedes tires and get past at the end uh, uh, as Mercedes tires degrade more quickly under high temperatures. And they had been already announced that by the time they got to turn seven, the tires were overheating at the back. And that was going to be an issue for them during the whole race. And the thing for Verstappen as well, you know, he got that better uh, start than Daniel. Uh, was that because he had the extra downforce on the car and had the extra purchase on the rear tires off the line. And I can sort of see where Ricardo was going with it. I think, yes, it would have hurt his tire life. And it's probably had to adapt to that more than Max for this race, especially when it became clear that uh, you know you could do a one stop, which would have been preferred. I think the kind of thought process behind it was because Suzuka is such a difficult track to overtake on. It's it's important to have a car with good straight line speed so that you can uh, defend a position because we know that in general that Red Bull has been struggling for top end uh, speed. So you can kind of see where they're where they're sort of going with their with their split strategy. Right. Absolutely. And critically Oh, sorry, go ahead, Spanner. Oh, I was just gonna to go to the chat room because Philip Allen there says mass in a helmet at five Gs is an issue. And Steve counters with, well, with enough cameras on the car, the drivers could just sit in a sim rig in the pits. Then we don't need the halo. And then you can have infinite G force as well. Yeah, why not? Well, you could take the fear out of it, I suppose, by doing that. So you could just have people with, like, tasers or something. So if they hit the wall, you taser the driver as an incentive to keep it on the tarmac. I don't know. I'm thinking out loud here. But, um, Chris, you made a good point, I think, about the straight line speed. We saw it when Bottas on old soft tyres. I wish they'd just call them hard. We don't need to know whether it's soft, super soft or all. The harder of the tyres was able to hold off Max Verstappen fairly comfortably before he went on his pit stop and Verstappen was on a fresh set of tyres. Sorry, Matt, what were you going to say? I was going to say, why don't we go back to prime and option? I sort of loved that. Yeah, I mean, there's absolutely no reason for us to be informed of which particular compound it is. Just tell us which of the three of the weekend it is. I'd be more than happy with that. Uh, So speaking of when uh, Verstappen, uh, Hamilton and Bottas were on track together, uh, we had a very, very interesting situation, Matt. Uh, yeah, we did. And I just wanted to finish up my pit stop point on the way to that, if you don't mind, in the sense that uh, Pirelli had said it would be a 22 lap stint for a one stopper. But in the past, we've seen the teams go extend that three, four or more laps. And yet Verstappen was in lap 21 for the undercut and that it it worked very well because he had about a four second gap going into the pit stop. And when he came out and Hamilton answered the next lap, it was one and a half seconds, and it wasn't really going anywhere until um, until they caught up to, to Botas. And at that point, Verstappen began closing him down, and it started to look very worrying. Uh, I had thought that Mercedes would just send Hamilton right on by, but he actually held station for a lap or two, um, making you think that, that either Mercedes wasn't on it or they had some sort of ulterior motive. I think what they were trying to do with Bottas was just make sure he still had the gap for when he made his pit stop because we know he was extending that first step. So as soon as uh, everyone else came into the pits, he was going to end up um, losing time. And if he had had to move aside for Lewis, which obviously he ended up doing, that would have uh, cost him uh, a fair bit of time. Uh, so I can kind of see why they were sort of umming and ahhing in, in getting him out of the way at first. 
But the fact is, as Matt has said here, Mercedes had their hand kind of forced by Verstappen's pit stop. So yes, they might not have had the ultimate pace, but they have got the pace to dictate to Lewis Hamilton when he's got to pit to avoid, you know, uh, the undercut. If he'd have gone out a few more laps, no doubt he'd have come out behind Verstappen. So Chris, what Joshua Clare is asking in the chat room is, where has this Red Bull pace suddenly come from? Well, a lot of it's been temperature related. Uh, and a big talking point in Malaysia uh, and Singapore was the higher uh, temperatures. And that's why we were talking about temperatures today when they, they suddenly shot up some 20 degrees between qualifying and the race, why we thought that the Mercedes pace was going uh, to deteriorate a little bit compared to Ferrari and Red Bull. You know, the Mercedes had not been working too well in those uh, hotter uh, conditions. So a lot of it's been uh, to do um, with that. Um, but the other point I was going to so, sort of make about um, what, uh, what were we talking about before? <laughs> Before you ask me that question. Sort of, mate. The point you were going to sort of make. I think that sums you up. Thanks. Can you answer my question? <laughs> no, I can't remember. I'm looking at the next thing. We were you, uh, never mind then. We were talking about uh, coming up with the pit stops and Hamilton, uh, uh, Botas letting well, Hamilton by. Yes, I was going to refute your statement that Mercedes didn't have the pace this weekend. Because if Verstappen could have won that race, he would have won that race. He's got absolutely nothing uh, to lose. He's got no championship to fight for. If he saw one opportunity to get by Lewis Hamilton, he would have taken it. And Lewis wouldn't have fought him because he's got the championship to think about. It's what happened in Malaysia, and it would have happened if Red Bull had the pace. I just don't think that they were as quick a car as the Mercedes today. Maybe Let's be fair, though. There are two things that are a little bit deceptive in that argument. And I love that you've made it because there are two things, one of which has actually been picked up uh, by, I'm guessing, oh, who is it? Blackout19 has picked this up in the chat room. The RBR pace has been there for a while now. It's just been hidden behind the terrible Renault reliability. You know, we've been nattering away all season about how rubbish the Renault package is. In the last four or five races, that Renault package has actually looked incredibly strong. And all of a sudden, the Renault engine that's in the back of the Red Bull is actually a fighting force. I mean, you can't lie about the fact that you know they've been able to take it to mercedes on a couple of occasions i mean who knows whether hamilton would have won the singapore grand prix if verstappen had been allowed to challenge him there as well he got taken out in that first corner mm. pileup. he could even have been alongside hamilton in the fight for the victory there he beat him legitimately and on merit in sepang that red bull with that renault engine is actually a fighting force so there's no reason why he couldn't have done the second thing is you're also forgetting the fact that in the last two laps, Verstappen had closed to within less than a second of Lewis Hamilton. But we ended up with Massa and uh, Alonso clearly not knowing what on earth happens when they are lapped because they don't get lapped very often. So, uh, well, they do recently, but of course, both of them are race winning drivers. So they obviously have this blue flag haze moment. Oh, please don't lap me. I'm not, I don't want to be lapped. So clearly they didn't know what to do in the situation. Had that not have happened, I think Verstappen probably would have gone for it on the penultimate lap. And Hamilton, again, probably would have surrendered, as you say. So I genuinely think Verstappen could have and probably should have won today. Do you think it was interesting, though, that on the team radio, they were saying to Max Verstappen, look, if it's a really clear chance, go for it. But they were sort of cautioning him not to do anything crazy. Well, yeah, that was to do with the fact that they had a bit of an issue with one of the tyres that was basically flat spotting after the pit, uh, the last pit stop, I think it was. They were having an issue uh, with the tyre. So they basically wanted to get him to sit behind 
Hamilton for the entirety of so that he wasn't wearing out the tyre too much. He wasn't pushing the car too hard. So he could easily, I think he probably could have beaten Hamilton today if it weren't for that tyre issue. Right. And I would agree with you there. Uh, But it was a blister and the tyre was down to the canvas. And that was the concern at Red Bull. So we have an interesting situation. And although you made an excellent attempt to filibuster and make me forget all of my points, I also would uh, circumscribe your description of the Renault power unit as only on the Red Bull, because only on the Red Bull does the Renault power unit look even halfway good. Otherwise, you had, for example, both Haas finishing ahead of every other Renault-powered car today. Uh, but that that's neither here nor there. What's interesting is we had uh, Red Bull pitting early to put tire pressure on Mercedes. Yeah. Then we had not one, but two virtual safety cars. And the virtual safety car for Ericsson in particular, I think, worked very much to Mercedes' advantage. It gave them a chance to cool the car. It gave them a chance to cool the tires and gave them several laps where they weren't seriously degrading the tires. The second virtual safety car for Stroll's incident worked very much to the disadvantage, because I watched that first lap on the timing, and then the second lap, Hamilton was two seconds slower. He'd actually gained time. He'd actually gone out almost a second under the virtual safety car. But after the first full lap at race pace, he lost two seconds, and that was down to vibrations that he had said were due to the power unit. Uh, he was short shifting uh, to save fuel, but later was ascribed to the tires. And now we all know that worn tires that have lost enough tread can be perilously difficult to get and keep in the window. And that was the explanation that was given by Mercedes post-race. This gave Verstappen a real shot, except for heading early didn't work to their advantage either because Verstappen blistered his tire and there went his chance to win the race. Absolutely. And Lewis Hamilton did end up winning that race. And he now has a lead of some 59 points, I believe, uh, going in with four races to go. Today's podcast is brought to you by Shoulder of Orion. The Blade Runner podcast is the premier Blade Runner saga podcast on the internet with exclusive interviews, roundtable discussions and in-depth journalistic segments shoulder of orion seeks to bring the global fan community closer than ever before produced by the creative team behind the groundbreaking perfect pause organism podcast shoulder of orion is available on all popular podcast platforms more at www.perfectorganism.com this is patrick green's podcast who is in our patron slack group Uh, Patrick is a man with a boundless energy, and if you are in any way into that universe, and if I'm much mistaken, there is some talk that the Blade Runner and Alien universes are connected, uh, then you want to be listening to what they produce. And I also want to thank the listeners uh, for a bit of a pep talk I got last week. Yes, we're in your ears every Monday for your Monday morning commute, but we have lives, they have ups and downs, and I guess last week I had a lot of demand on my time and resources from pesky things like work and children and wives. And uh, yeah, I think I went into last week's show feeling not that great. And I walked away thinking, oh, that was subpar. What am I doing? I'm a terrible person. Uh, And then only to be cheered up on Monday morning by you guys with questions, comments, encouragement. Me and Matt did a podcast that I loved called Dad Hub for a year. And in the end, I think it was 
a lack of interaction, a lack of engagement, a lack of knowing what was happening when we were putting this thing out into the internet that eventually meant when we hit hurdles, we didn't overcome them. Yes, it was unfortunate because it was a really great podcast. And it's fantastic that we've been able to uh, sort of keep the flame going here. And uh, yeah, the future looks very interesting indeed. But when we ask ourselves why, we get a very emphatic response from you guys why we keep on doing it. And we appreciate it. Thank you very much. And congratulations to patron Joshua Clare, who is getting married. His darling missus said yes when he asked if she would marry him. Now, she may seem lovely now, Joshua, but let me warn you, they change. Something about that day, they change. Wives are mean. All right, let's talk about the championship. Well, Chris, everyone's saying that this championship is over. But if you'll indulge me for a second, let's look at how it's played out since the summer. And stop me when you wildly disagree with me, because in Belgium, Mercedes won. But as I recall, the internet granted that win, like a spiritual win to Sebastian Vettel. But they were beaten. In Monza, at the home of Ferrari, they were absolutely thumped, but still very much in the championship. Then Singapore happened. Malaysia then, it's, it turned away from being drivers and overall performance to a series of tech letdowns all through the weekend. Uh, but hey, wasn't Sebastian amazing at cutting through slower cars to the incredible fourth place that he achieved there in Malaysia? And now the team had a sick car for Vettel and a working car for a man on track who now so rarely de- delivers. Chris, it's been a complete disaster. I can't find a silver lining there. No, it's been a, a series of unfortunate events for Ferrari and Sebastian Vettel. And just go back to Hungary at the end of uh, the first half of the season. And Sebastian Vettel was well in control uh, of this championship, had pretty much a win or even more than a win's advantage over uh, Lewis Hamilton in the championship. And, you know, Spa, that was their last clean weekend at Ferrari. And since then, it's just unraveled so much. And today was a race he absolutely needed to win if he wanted to take back control of this championship and it's 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 so unfortunate because this championship has been fantastic that i love the fact that they've been uh so closely matched and they'll be going to a weekend not knowing uh, which car is going to be working well which driver it's going to favor there are so many different factors that's a proper championship and it has not unraveled uh the way it, it should have done and for what has been a very closely fought championship, it almost looks like Lewis could wrap up the title within, uh, you know, within the next two races. And, you know, that's, that's, that's fair enough. You know, I, I don't want to say the championship is completely over because if uh, being at the Montreal Epre taught me anything, it's that, you know, don't take anything for granted. Uh, but I think as Matt alluded to earlier, uh, it's looking very favorable. Uh, for Lewis Hamilton right now he doesn't have really he doesn't have to take any risk he can just he can finish second to Seb uh, for the remainder of the season and still win the championship and let's look at it from the point of view as well the bad luck that Vettel had coming into this weekend is not just limited to the fact that you know he was obviously having those engine issues I mean he had the problems on the grid and to add insult to injury I know I've been belittling Vettel over the last three or four weeks and I, I wish I could have been on last week's show after after Malaysia because I had so much to say and couldn't say it so I had to do it on pitboard instead um but it was a really really painful experience to watch Vettel because everything was kicking off as the national anthem 
was going. And obviously nowadays it's mandatory that all drivers have to go to the national anthem. And who wasn't there? Sebastian <gasps> Vettel. Gosh. Because he, I know, because Sebastian Vettel was basically hanging around his car, making sure it all fired up again. Now, I personally feel that that's a stupid rule because in those circumstances, I don't see any reason why standing, listening to a piece of music, whether it's that particular country's national anthem or not, is actually going to either A, endear you to the crowd when the alternative is not knowing what's going on with your car when you're sitting on the starting grid or uh, is actually going to gain you any percentage of lap times. It, it, it's just lunacy. And the very fact of the matter is he got reprimanded for missing the yeah. national anthem because he was trying to figure out what was going on with his car. This is how far the regulations have basically been written on the back of a sheet of paper that's been discarded from some child's drawing. It's lunacy that a guy can get a reprimand and now be one reprimand away from actually gaining a 10 second grid penalty for a future race because he missed the national anthem due to the fact he was hovering around his car. It's lunacy. FOM need to tear up the rule book and start again. Now, now wait, I do not want to get into what you can and can't do during a national anthem. Please Austin go without incident. Please Austin go by without any incident. Uh, anyway, but politics aside, um, <laughs> Yeah, it is a it is a bit of a silly rule. So it's a nicety, I think, is how it should be viewed to get up to the front to your national anthem. Clearly, if there's a racing or technical issue, there should be some kind of dispensation. But Matt, I don't think it's it's like a one off. I'm not seeing this as unlucky. It feels like there's something systematic happening at Ferrari, something endemic with their engineering that has has kind of culminated has maybe built up and is now showing its ugly face uh, towards the back end of the season where it really matters what i'm wondering is have they in a desperate bid to catch up with mercedes chosen performance over reliability and and now it's catching up with them well it's interesting in that your innate paranoia has served you well because i believe you are absolutely correct on this issue <laughs> they have indeed been forced to choose performance over reliability and if there is a hidden story to why Lewis Hamilton is likely to win the championship. And if he does win it, the critical maneuver, in my incredibly humble opinion, would be Mercedes introducing that engine in Spa ahead of the new regulations coming on for Monza. And everything we have learned uh, about what's going on since that happened indicates that Ferrari's uh, initial version 4 engine, which uh, Vettel installed one race early, was not designed to cope with the new six-tenths of a liter per hundred. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. 
Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Kilometers regulation, which tells you a lot about how difficult it is to re-engineer these things and why these sudden rule changes mid-season can really tank a team. And what we see, we saw the ears go on when the new uh, power unit went in. That's because the oil, and because it was introduced at Monza or later, it has to only run the six-tenths liters. The oil is part of also cooling the inside of the of the chamber, and they had to introduce, um, the, the supposition is they had to introduce the extra cooling to keep the engine from burning up. And the other thing we know, given that it was a spark plug failure, is that the TJI ignition turbulent jet ignition that is now being used by uh, pretty much all of the manufacturers, I believe, also puts a great deal of stress on the spark plug. And in fact, according to Autosport, uh, Mercedes replaced uh, one of Lewis's spark plugs after qualifying before the race. Now, that's a perfectly legal thing to do, but they probably would only have done it if they'd had some indication there might be a fault with it. It's interesting because this is kind of helping the metaphor that I've been coming up with over the last sort of six days or so along because Ferrari 1991 was basically a complete and total systems meltdown internally and externally. Everything just went completely wrong. They had the best tip driver on their team in Alain Prost. They had great engineers and none of them could communicate with each other. The car was garbage. It all just fell apart at the seams. History's repeating itself because everything all the ingredients should be working perfectly they started the season with a competitive package they had probably the best package at the start of the season and they had a legitimate claim to the championship but now dramatically mercedes and renault i'm going to put that in there renault as well have completely caught them up and i don't think ferrari were i think ferrari expected mercedes to be on the same level as them and compete with them i think it's completely taken them by surprise that renault have been able to throw a candle to them and once again adrian newey's baby is just waiting there to pick up the pieces. He's just such a genius when it comes to car design that Red Bull, once again, with those two fantastic drivers, Daniel Ricciardo and Max Verstappen, they've closed down the gap for, to Ferrari. And because Ferrari is playing safe with their, you know, whinging, whining child of a driver, Sebastian Vettel, who can't blame anybody, uh, who can blame anybody but himself. Uh, and Kimi Raikkonen, who just basically is not a world-class Formula One driver anymore, in my opinion, they're just melting down. I mean, they're going to finish third in the Constructors' Championship at this rate. It's just going to be absolutely awful. Very nice. But I guarantee you, Mr. Sanson, that if Ferrari were allowed to run 1.2 liters of oil burn per 100 kilometers, they'd be very, very competitive right now. I think you're underestimating the extent to which that regulation change has um has has ruined their plans for the season. And I have to also correct, uh, it's six-tenths of a liter for next season, but it was changed to nine-tenths of a liter for the remainder of the 2017 uh, season. That does still kind of back up my point a little bit, though, because Mercedes anticipated that, and Ferrari didn't. So Ferrari clearly don't have the mental capacity to be able to adapt to those kind of regulations, whereas Mercedes, and to a certain extent Renault, actually, now 
You know, they seem to have made that gain. And Ferrari are just left squandering around going, what the hell are we doing? Why the hell are we losing? So me and Matt have been arguing all season long about which car you'd rather have and which is the better car, however you want to define that. Come on, Matt, I win now. The Mercedes is a better car. It's a better package. It's a better team. Well, now I, I would disagree with you. If you were going to ask me which car I would rather have, yeah. I'll tell you which car I'd rather have. I'd rather have the Ferrari with the Mercedes engine. That's the car that I would like. That's a cop out. And you should just admit that I'm right and I'm brilliant <laughs> and handsome. Chris, what would you have? Uh, I'd take the Ferrari still because, and I'll tell you what, the, because we cannot, why, uh, we cannot possibly what judge. What's wrong with him? Cannot possibly say that the Mercedes is fundamentally the better car when Ferrari haven't had a clean weekend in three consecutive Grand Prix. Because they've got a worse car, Chris. That's why they haven't had a clean weekend. Oh, okay. Because Oh, so Singapore happened because Ferrari have got a bad car. No. Oh, no. That's that's because of idiotic driving. But the last two races, the last two races, right, their car has let them down. And if you have poor reliability, that's not an act of God. That's a design choice you're making. Okay. Right. Okay. In terms of reliability, yes, they're struggling. In terms of the actual race pace of that car, we cannot judge. that They are linked because you can flatter to deceive with a very fast car. And if you don't worry about reliability, all bets are off. So, so that, that performance that you're perceiving is fake. It's not real. It's, a, it's an illusion. No, I, I, I disagree. I'm not, I, I don't think that you know, Mercedes only lost races this year because they've got a more reliable uh, car. And I, w- I would definitely say if, if they have a clean weekend in Austin and they beat the Mercedes, then once again, you can say Ferrari still on a Sunday, the better car. I'd like to point out that the car I would choose is the Red Bull. I don't think I would go for either the Mercedes or the Ferrari because both the Mercedes and the Ferrari have looked flawed in the last three races by comparison to the Red Bull. Yes, Hamilton has won uh, two of the three races by the skin of his teeth, I feel, because obviously, you know, the Red Bull basically gave both the Ferrari and the Mercedes a complete butt whooping at Sepang when nobody expected them to. If Verstappen hadn't have been taken out of Sepang, I think he'd have challenged Hamilton. He did challenge Hamilton today. Whether you say he could have won or not, whether he says he could have won or not is irrelevant. He very nearly won today. I think that's the car to have right now i genuinely think the red bull renault maybe not in qualifying but in the race that is the car to have well i think if you were talking about next season i think you might have a good argument and we'll have plenty of time to talk about which which car we'd want in 2018 apologies to the live stream you know this is quite a an internet and processing power heavy uh, process and it was going red it's gone back to green now normal service should have been resumed be sure to check out mistapexpodcast.com forward slash live stream that will give you all the details of how to find the youtube channel and it will also let you play right from the web page the last few episodes if i remember to put them up there uh, all right then matt let's go on to any other business in fact let's go to chris for this one since you're a journalist who likes to have his fingers in the paddock uh, hang on a minute uh, ears in the paddock, eyes on the paddock. Look, the saddest man in the paddock at the moment is a guy who is regularly on podiums. It's Valtteri Bottas. Even though his place at Mercedes is assured, he looks deeply unhappy. Like he looks worryingly upset. He was taking it in his stride, this points, uh, this pace difference, but the pace just isn't there. And it looks like it's starting to get to him. Well, he's uh, flat out admitted that a lot of Mercedes uh, updates 
especially since the summer break, have very much played against him and that his driving style is not suiting the new balance of the car. And that's something that he is most definitely working on. Uh, but I think uh, maybe uh, this weekend that issue has been exaggerated uh, somewhat because Suzuka is a proper you know, driver's uh, circuit. And uh, you, it, it's, a, it's a circuit where you have to have the car, you know, therefore you can't drag around an imperfect car around for one lap, let alone an entire Grand Prix here. Um, so I think there's an element of that. I, also an element of Lewis basically just being brilliant this weekend. It has been one of his top, top weekends. But uh, I do have to give credit to, to Valtteri for his qualifying effort, especially after uh, losing out on his uh, qualifying run in FP3 after what was quite embarrassing looking, but made it easy to have a crash uh, at Spoon. Um, so I felt like that was quite a good uh, recovery for him. But yes, Bottas most definitely uh, struggling and uh, working at that to, to get himself back up onto his old level, as it were. Can he get there for 2018? Can he get there? I definitely. I think in, in 2018 as well, he'll have a little bit more input in the uh, design of the car. It will be built more around him because let's face it, he's walked into Nico Rosberg's car uh, this year. I don't see any reason why Valtteri can't challenge for the title next year. I don't agree. Uh, we'll we'll see. Obviously, I, if it pans out, but I think that gap is is too big. I think that's going to prove. I completely disagree in every single possible respect. I mean, Valtteri is a bit like Carlos Reutemann in the respect that he only really seems to bring out his A-game when the car works for him. The rest of the time, he just looks decidedly average. And that's a real problem if uh, you want to win the Constructors' Championship, because what Mercedes have had in the last few years is two drivers who can win races and go podiums consistently in Hamilton and Rosberg. They went for Bottas because their hand was forced. And basically what they've got is another Kimi Raikkonen, a man who's not really reliable and dependable enough long-term to win the Constructors' Championship. I'm sorry, I just don't think he's got what it takes. Whenever Lewis hasn't been there, has Valtteri been there to pick up the pieces? Yes, he has. Has Bottas been able to to challenge Lewis? Especially, you know, not... Given that those first few races, obviously he's jumped straight into the car. Yeah. After that, he did put on a good, good challenge. And actually, do you know what? After his win in Austria, we were almost saying he could fight for this championship. And, you know, he'll have a year under his uh, belt next year in that car. He'll be more designed around him, be more comfortable within the team. I'm not saying he is going to fight for the championship, but it's down to him. He's got all the tools available to him. He could fight for the championship next Chris year. Fortis Fortis in the chat room here is saying since the summer break the closest he's got to Lewis's qualifying time is 0.33 seconds which is still miles off and actually the, from what I can remember most of it is half a second to 0.7 seconds in qualifying right that then also goes back to what I was just saying about the Mercedes updates and how they haven't played into his driving style and how he's got to adapt to that well, Lawrence Rollograph actually comes up with a really good point in the chat room. He says that Bottas can start quicker, but he's too slow in the first corner. And when it's wet, he is nowhere. What does that remind you of? Felipe Massa, actually. That kind of reminds me a little bit of Felipe Massa. He's got very similar Felipe Massa-ish tendencies. And that's not conducive at the moment to win a Constructors' Championship. I mean, he's very lucky that he's got the points he's had, I think. Let's hear an American like voice. Controversial. First of all, I'd say that in the battle of the Finnish number two drivers, I would choose <laughs> Botas over Raikkonen. Yes, agreed. Agreed. 
Second of all, I don't believe the issues for him are as bad as all that. And I'll point to one of your favorite driver's banners, Lewis Hamilton. Do you remember going into Canada when Jensen Button was still his teammate? And every race, because they were trying to fix Button's issue, it got harder and harder for Lewis to drive the car. So I, I believe like when it comes to driving styles and cars and setup changes, these are, these are very real issues and not to be put up. And the reason ultimately I will give Botas a pass for now is because when it's come down to it, and we saw it again with him holding off or Schappen and, and gaining back all the time that was lost on the undercut for Hamilton, when it's come down to it, he's played the team game and he's been successful where others have not. And I'm not necessarily looking at you, Kimi Raikkonen. I have to say, you've got a good point there. And Sandra Reynolds even says on the chat, he's too nice, not a killer. And that's what you need to be if you want to win a world championship. You need to have that killer instinct, that ruthless streak to go for the move when it's there. I just don't know if Bottas has that. Okay, Jake, speaking of nice guys, Marcus Ericsson seems like a very nice bloke. What is going on, though? He seems to just find the (laughs) lamest ways to end a race. It's like he's got this gigantic three-year-long bet going. Oh, I I can't even give him the Missed Apex Award for this week because it would just be giving him too much credit for anything he's actually done over the course of the weekend. It's just so embarrassing in a point that even Yuji Ide would have watched and gone, oh, hang on a minute, mate. You really need to pull something out of the bag here. You need better references. I haven't had any of your references today. You've lost two thirds (laughs) of the audience. Just just reference the Power Ranger or something. Is it more like the Red Power Ranger or the black one with her issues? I haven't watched it. Yeah, I didn't watch. I didn't watch rubbish <laughs> Japanese TV programs. Um, I I just don't see why this whole thing is an issue. I'm 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 sure that there is better money to be spent turning Sauber into that Ferrari Academy team and putting Charles Leclerc and Antonio Giovinazzi in the team next year than continuing on with that raging cesspit turgid moron of a buffoon in that car <laughs> wait, wait, wait. absolutely no value having marcus erickson in that car i, I think he'd be yeah. very very appropriate in blanc pain when he could just hide away without a personality and bring it home in 17th place every weekend go on marcus do us all a favor there was a great article in autosport this week that uh quoted marcus as saying uh that his uh is it the weight difference because he's taller than pascal verline it costs him four tenths of a second per lap, which, yeah. as driver excuses go, I've not really heard that one before. It's one of the most pathetic excuses I've ever heard in my life. He was off by a decimal point or two with that estimation, unless he weighs like 80 kilograms more than uh, Veriline does. Poor fella. I mean, whenever I'm lucky enough to chat here in the shed with Joe Saywood. Joe always defends Marcus Ericsson and says, you know, just being the least good of these 20 fantastic drivers is no shame. And whilst I respect Joe, he's wrong. Marcus Ericsson is terrible. Uh, yeah, fourth... when I can when I can think of ten other drivers who, if you put them in the same car, they would still yeah. be better than Marcus Ericsson with no Formula One experience at all. It's just shameful. Get him out of the car. He's wasting everybody's time, including his own. Matt trumpets uh, force India two great drivers. Uh, genuinely, I I love both of these guys. Ocon's kind of got the the jump at the moment, but it's a really interesting dynamic there with uh, Perez asking permission. Please, please, can I attack Ocon? And just the frustrated uh, pit engineer. It's just like a, a weird, awkward step family, isn't it? No, stop touching him. Leave him alone. He's your brother now. 
well, to me, it was more like, can I have ice cream for dinner? Um, uh, we'll, we'll talk about that later. We'll let you know soon. And then and then you get your plate full of broccoli. I, I mean, what what killed me is I think Perez irony meter, meter was utterly destroyed because if this was anything, it was just the polar inverse to uh, Canada where where he was like, oh, I'll let Ocon by. Just give me a few more laps. Just, and then before you knew it, it was too late for anything to be done. Let's face it. He brought the situation on himself by driving repeatedly into his teammate. And, and, and they said, okay, if you can't behave like adults, we shall treat you like children. And that's exactly what it was. And just uh, by the by, also, I, whoever cut together um, the uh, driver's briefing from Malaysia with the music to uh, the Larry David show, you are a genius because that was one of the funniest things I have seen in a long, long time. And I really hope Force India see this season for what it was, a bit of a surprise for Sergio Perez with Ocon being so competitive and Sergio Perez just trying to, you know, stamp his authority on that team. And we can't fault him for that. He was being aggressive and he was trying to say, no, I'm the number one here, kid, back off. But that's not the case. Ocon is his equal. And I hope that they can start 2018 by saying, OK, you've had last season. Now, gloves are off again. You can fight again until you repeat that situation and we'll have to rein you back rather than starting at where we are now, which is very, very neutered and not what anyone really wants to see. Uh, right. Uh, on lap 43, the only real proper contact, the only proper real carnage of the race was Magnussen on Massa. Now, this is the kind of move, Chris, that I think 100% depends on which driver you support. If you are supporting Kevin Magnussen and you see him do that on Massa, you think, good on him, great aggressive move. If you dislike Sebastian Vettel and you see him do that, you go, cheat, he's always doing this, it's terrible, throw the book at him. Well, I mean, Magnussen is usually the one to get his elbows out and uh, he's quite an entertaining driver for that. And yep. I don't agree. It was a great, great move. Great move. But, you know, did it cause a collision? It probably did, but uh, it's fine. This is what I've been saying all season. <laughs> let the drivers deal with it themselves. Yeah, you can let the drivers deal with it themselves. It was a good move. Obviously, he got a tyre on the grass and he ended up sort of with the back end steering out and then he sort of had to steer into him to save that skid. So you see him actively turning into him, but you've got that choice. You know, do I let my back end go out and lose it? Or do I turn into Massa, bump him out of the way? Sorry, mate. And on you go. It was just convenient enough that it was enough yeah. of a punt to let Roman Grosjean through as well. Uh, yeah, see, there'd have been questions asked if that was a, a Renault to the left of him that he'd done that to, but it was only Massa. So it's okay. He'll be on his way soon anyway. Uh, Jake, do you like blue flags because i heard a man on sky saying that he should ban blue flags uh not a viewpoint i take obviously we're talking about alonso getting reprimanded with penalty points for blocking max verstappen but the thing is the solution isn't to ban blue flags obviously the solution is to close the field up so you've got less of them uh, but given that we do have blue flags alonso really just did not care that he was interfering with the leaders battle yeah, it's a difficult one because I do kind of have this thing against blue flags. And that's only because there isn't a single racing driver I know who legitimately respects them, actually respects them. Because everybody in Formula One is of the killer instinct nature, apart from the two or three we've mentioned. Uh, and they are in too good a car to need a blue flag. Um, it, it's a difficulty because I, I don't see the, the purpose of a blue flag in Formula One 
But I do see the purpose of a blue flag in Formula One. It, it's a difficulty because it's catch-22. You should have them and you shouldn't have them. And for somebody like Fernando Alonso, it was kind of necessary because he was so busy concentrating on Felipe Massa. I think he'd kind of forgotten the fact that there was a guy behind him. And we know what Fernando Alonso is like. If the team would to warn him about it, he would have just said, shut up, I'm busy. So that would have been that. And that would have caused another problem all of its own. So it's a difficult one because I don't want them to ban blue flags. I think they do need them, but I think they don't need them. Uh, ask me something else. Trumpets, answer it. I, I, my head's hurting. Right. Well, we have blue flags for the same reason we have traffic lights and stop signs on regular roads. In the best of all worlds, if you were a Formula One driver and you weren't battling the people coming through, you would stay out of their way and let them get to it because that's only going to cost you time in your race as well. But as it transpires, Formula One drivers are actual people. They hold grudges and sometimes they just lose sight of the fact that these people are coming. So the blue flag is simply meant to say, here comes a battle that doesn't concern you. Get out of the way as as expeditiously as you can and then get back to doing whatever you're doing. And what's interesting about this, and the only reason we're hearing about it, is because the Massa-Alonso battle played into the Hamilton-Verstappen battle. In particular, Alonso getting in between them gave Hamilton a gap. And then when uh, he caught up to Massa, it gave him DRS. And, you know, arguably, uh, with Massa being behind him through the end of turn one and into the S's, made it impossible for Verstappen to have any chance of catching him. So Alonso gets ding for ignoring blue flags. However, I'm curious to know if he made the argument that, well, I did get out of the way as soon as I saw the blue flags for Hamilton, and then I saw a blue flag for Verstappen, so I should have had three more corners. I think he should have made this argument because it would have worked. Yeah, I think it would have worked. You're absolutely right. And it's interesting because Josh Clare comes up with a really interesting conspiracy theory. Alonso still feels guilty about 2007 and made a point of gifting <laughs> Hamilton the race by not getting out of Verstappen's way quickly. Uh, I'd love to believe that Fernando Alonso could be that humane in the middle of a Formula One race. I don't think that's the case. I think he just realised, oh, blast, I suppose I'd better move out of the way then. Uh, but the, the thing that I wanted to get the point out with this is I do feel that that ruined the race. For me, that ruined the race. The fact that Massa and Alonso didn't get out of the way quick enough. We could have had an amazing battle to the flag. And let's be honest, it's Max Verstappen. It's not somebody who's going to go, oh, well, maybe points is a good idea. Maybe second place. No, he'd have gone for that. He'd have gone for that with every muscle of his soul. He would have thrown it up the inside at the 130R. He would have done something crazy like the final chicane. He'd have done it. And we were robbed of that. And I'm afraid you can say blue flags or not blue flags, Massa and Alonso, probably more Alonso than Massa actually, collectively destroyed the showdown we should have had at the end of that race. That's just how I feel. I, I would say that the only reason there was a potentially exciting finish there was because Alonso blocked Lewis in the first place. So I, yeah, I, it, that, that gap was there between Lewis and Max before they came up on Massa and Alonso. And they wasn't going to come down at the end of that race without those two getting involved. So, at the end of the day, though, the battle for that last point, and let's forget that, not forget that they were battling for a point, and a point is valuable, and eleventh place is useless. Uh, but the battle, Massa and Alonso, yeah, but the, oh, yeah, exactly, man. the battle for first for that last point shouldn't be a lap down. It should be forty seconds back. It, it's not beyond the wit of man to get to that point. But I, I know you, you brought this up a moment ago which is that you know we should just have a closer field so that yeah. there isn't so much lappage just going solve on. it 
in a race. Yeah. Uh, I completely agree with that. I'm all for a tighter field, but you know, this is the first year of a big regulation change. A more spread out field is almost, you know, to be expected. I think uh, in the next couple of years, we'll have some more stable regulations and the field will naturally uh, bunch up um, in itself. Although there are things the sport could do to push that along. Oh my God, Paul Wright in the chat room is completely right. Spanners needs a blue flag for when the panel go on too long. Let's go to the podium. Do you know, sometimes that green room is awkward, like it's super, super awkward. Today, though, it really felt like three mates having a good crack on. I think the Red Bull lads clearly get on well with each other for now when there's no title on the line. And Lewis Hamilton seems to get on very well with Daniel Ricciardo. Uh, But it was hilarious watching Lewis say to Ricciardo, man, you guys were quick today. And Ricciardo's like, we were? Uh huh. Because I guess from from uh, from Lewis's point of view, he's got this quick Red Bull. He probably assumed Ricciardo was the same. Ricciardo goes straight over to Verstappen. And he's like, w- "Were you close to him? <laughs> you know, because because I was getting hounded by a Mercedes at my end." The brilliant thing about modern technology and the way that we have decided that we need to see the green room at the end of the race is that we actually get to see these guys being human beings and actually having the kind of banter that we all have when we get out of carts at Arrive and Drive. It's absolutely amazing. And I think it's genuinely one of the things that makes Formula One such an incredible spectacle is the fact that we have the green room at the end. We've got that raw emotion. And I think that has become now an integral part of Formula One ever since the multi-21 incident when we saw how furious Weber was at Sebastian Vettel post-race in Sepang that year. It's become an essential part of the pro- programme coverage. And you'll notice now, commentators shut up during that point. Yeah. They stop talking because they want to ingest every single molecule over the seconds of that little incident. And again, you're absolutely right. I mean, it was a magnificent moment of human, really? We were actually competitive today? And that's what we need. We need more of that humanism in Formula One. It's brilliant. Well, and that's what brings the drama. Do the drivers like each other? Do they hate each other? What do they really say? That behind the scenes stuff always drives eyeballs. And speaking of drawing eyeballs, uh, was anybody else struck by the romantic eyes Daniel Ricciardo was making at Lewis Hamilton and has been in several podiums, podium cool down rooms in a row? If there was an odds on favorite, for a Mercedes seat in 2019 that wasn't Valtteri Bottas, I'm going to put Ricardo way up on the list because they just look like they'd have fun together. Well, they do. And certainly Lewis Hamilton leaving his phone in that kind of classic way that we've all had on nights out where you realize he's not got a password on that because you always check he's not got a password on this. I am going to post all the things. And he goes straight for the throat, straight for Lewis's heart, Instagram, uh, and starts, you know, mucking around on there, which is great fun. Certainly a good character for Formula One. But in that green room, I love the way that despite being racing drivers since birth or even before that, in some cases, they still haven't come up with a better way to describe moves than what we do after karting, which is to sort of put our hands flat in front of us together and sort of whir our hands around each other simulating the move you'd think they'd have some sophisticated racing driver way of doing it but yeah onto the podium uh it's nice because we you know sometimes we have to put up with eddie jordan and then the less bad sky commentators i like martin brundle DC, being up there. yeah the DC. channel 4 crew are all oh. brilliant 
Oh no, you're saying DC's bad. Oh no, I think all the never, Channel Four guys are never good. ever have DC on another podium ever again. I'm sorry, never. It was ever, it was a bit ever. awkward with him after qualifying, trying to kind of shoehorn Jensen Button in there and go, you know, Jensen Button, he's our guy. Yeah, they've got Nico, but we've got we've got Jensen here. He's our ex champion. I love Jensen. But Jensen, stop saying buddy. It was so excruciatingly <laughs> painful. I think he said buddy more times in the space of five minutes than I say my own children's names when I'm talking to them. It was appalling. For sure. For sure. I was going to say, did he say it more than Rosberg said for sure on Sky? At least Rosberg did yeah. that in good humor. Uh, but yeah, but this this time we had, um, I've forgotten his name completely, Sato uh, on, the, on there with his big Indy 500 ring. What a nice bloke. Like He's just on there, like super polite, super professional. And it was just a very different kind of podium interview than we normally get and what did you make of uh, him taking the bling that was a fantastic moment right there lewis hamilton having just won you know one of the best circuits in the world and takuma sato comes along smartly dressed dapper chap really really likable bloke in his home country a national hero he's wearing the indy 500 winner's ring and that's the only thing it seems that lewis hamilton is interested in he's like where did you get that ring and all i'm thinking is that well there's one at the indianapolis 500 if you want it lewis go on go do it you know you want it and i think that is the only reason he's now interested in the indy 500 it's got nothing to do with the fact that that's the greatest spectacle of motor racing it's got nothing to do with the fact that alonso went and so nearly won and it's something that he could do to emulate people like jackie stewart and jim clark now nah, he wants that ring that's the only thing he's interested in is he wants that ring lewis hamilton looks at bling like me and matt look at new whiskeys Ooh, I've not tried that one before. I need that one near me. Uh, but yeah, okay. So let's go on to our awards. Uh, thanks for bearing with us, lads. I know we've uh, overrun a little bit. All right, then, Chris Stevens, who is your thing of the weekend? Max Verstappen. Simple as that. Did a, did a sterling job in the Rebel. Start was amazing. Easing ahead of Daniel Ricciardo, isn't he? I'd say uh, mm, it's though. such an interesting battle. It's, yeah. it's, it's one of the, it's one of the best teammate rivalries I've ever seen in motorsport, and I'm just loving the way it's unfolding. Jake Sanson, who is uh, your thing of the weekend? Uh, Takuma Sato's ring is my thing of the weekend. <laughs> That's the enough. only thing Lewis Hamilton cared about on that podium was the ring. Matt Trumpets, who's your thing of the weekend? Well, like I said, I think the honorable mention goes to the driver's briefing video, but the real winner? Lance Stroll for his trip through the gravel trap and subsequent code brown moment for Daniel Ricciardo. Man, that was insane. Thing is, though, Ricciardo, was he just thinking about the race and keeping his foot in? Because he did. He kept it flat. Or was he thinking that was the safest way around that incident? He was thinking, I hope I don't get actually after the race. he, He literally said I was getting kind of bored and that really got me excited. Fair enough. Racing drivers are weird. Uh, my thing of the weekend is going to go to Sebastian Vettel. His reaction after the race was solid. What more could you ask of him? Uh, he was a team player. He, he acted like a team leader. Uh, there was no hint of a hissy fit or anything like that. He must have been devastated. You could see his face as he was talking to the pit crew and thanking them and making his way back that he was absolutely gutted. But 10 out of 10 for that reaction. What can you do? And when he got asked, has this shown you that you can challenge for next season. He said, no, we're not done yet. We're not done yet this season. I'm not ready to write Ferrari off. I'm not ready to write Sebastian Vettel off. 
yet either. He's a cornered animal. He now has nothing to lose and he is a talent. Uh, before we go on to the Missed Apex Award, um, Jake Sanson, boss of Downforce Radio, you keep teasing us. You keep teasing us with things about your next projects. Tell us something. Give us a glimmer. Come on. Where are you going next? Okay, so uh, next weekend, I'm going to be at Silverstone for the British Racing and Sports Car Club finale. I'm going to be in the commentary box for the Caterham Motorsport Championships. Remember Caterham? Yeah, uh, yeah the ex-Formula One team. Uh, they actually have their own Caterham Championships for all of the proper Caterham cars. Uh, that's going to be two days of non-stop racing on the Silverstone International Circuit. Come and watch. It's uh, very, very cheap. Uh, and then the week after that, I fly to Spain. I will not tell you yet why, <sighs> but I will tell you soon it's going to be good let's put it that way i was gonna say any fantastic and monumental news to announce today jake was gonna be my question Uh, monumental news i can't announce it yet i so want to but i'm literally like a nine-year-old sitting there going oh i can't tell people have to wait i have to wait i'm really sorry obviously you're gonna do it through downforce channels but uh, make sure you come and chat to us as soon as you can afterwards to talk about it so well so well chris stevens autosport How's that going? Are they, are they sticking with you? Really? I hope so. Uh, I'm done for the year uh, with my 750 Motor Club uh, duties. They had the final meeting at Donington last weekend, which was absolutely fantastic. Lots of championships um, being uh, decided. Um, there's some bit about that on my uh, Twitter feed. If, you, if you're interested in a bit of club uh, motorsport, interestingly enough, uh, Billy Olbone was crowned a, a RGB champion and he used to race in karting with Ashley Sutton, who won the BTCC title that weekend as well. So that there's there's good stuff um, in there. And uh, there is some potential autosport work on the horizon that I can't really... Oh, uh, you dropped a Sanson, another one. What I can talk about uh, is uh, me and Matt are most likely going to be doing e-radio uh, this week as we've had Formula 1 testing, uh, Formula 1 testing, Formula E testing in uh, Valencia, pre-season testing. Uh, and that's uh, the only glimpse of the cars we'll see on track before the first round in Hong Kong in uh, December, which we're very excited about. Excellent. Speaking of Matt Trumpets, uh, what are you up to, pal? Oh, you know, this and that, things that I can't really talk about oh, right now. Oh, get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> but you can be found at MattPT55 on Twitter. Forgot about the lads there. Obviously, I'm at Spanners Ready, uh, at C Stevens underscore journo. And have you managed, are you at Jake Sanson, Jake? I'm at Jake Sanson, yes. Yeah, because it's a weird name because it's very close to a very popular name. But yeah, it, that that smacks of birth certificate typo to me. It does a little bit, but the advantage is I also am the only person in the Xbox Live community with that name. So it is literally <laughs> Jake Space Sanson. You won't find me being known as Cheeseboard57. I can't be bothered with that kind of thing. And I can announce as well that I will be voicing the sequel to A Beast of Tales End, if you caught that. So it's, that looks like very much like it's going to be a series now. It's selling. So why not catch up with Beast of Tales End on audible.com, voiced by me, written by Kyle Robert Schultz. Okay, the Missed Apex Award. Who do you give your Missed Apex Award to? Matt Trumpets. Ooh, this is a challenge. This is a real challenge. This is a total challenge. Um, <laughs> and I'm not going to take the obvious one. I'm going to go with Nico Hulkenberg's rear wing. It's a tiny, tiny thing to put you out of a race, isn't it? It's a shame they couldn't have just somehow wedged it on, gaffer tape, on you go, no DRS, keep racing. Uh, I, I like, uh, you know, Formula One being a very technologically advanced sport. I like not only the way they use push brooms to clean up the debris, I like the way they use their fist and hammers to bang on things to make them work right. This to me is genius. 
Chris Stevens, who missed the apex for you. Well, I was going to pick Hulkenberg's DRS as well. <laughs> now I'm going to think of something else. When he got a Santon, come back to me in two minutes. Jake. Okay, mine is a tie. I can't pick between the two. Uh, one of them is Stoffel Van Dorn for running wide at the first corner and ruining McLaren's best chance of scoring the points in the whole race because he lost about seven places doing that. Uh, and Raikkonen, similarly, around the same lap for chickening out in the Force India battle and being run wide and off the circuit again, losing about eight places. Harsh. Uh, I am going to give it two, and this is going to seem harsh, but I expect more and I want more before the end of the season. And in your first full season, Pierre Gasly had a chance at a point today. If you want to be a superstar, you've got to grab them. You've got to grab them. And even if you've got a flat spot, maybe I mean, I'm not a racing driver, but it felt a bit like, oh, uh, it didn't go right. I've got a flat spot. Now I'm giving up on points. If you'd have walked away with a point today, you'd have looked like a legend. And I think he is someone that people want to see do well. Chris Stevens, have you got one now? I've got, I've got Lance Stroll's front right tyre for giving up six laps from the finish. Savage. Uh, do we have any Pony Awards? Hang on a second. Let me play the Pony Awards because I like that one. Daddy, I want a pony. And I want it now. Matt, you always have the best Pony Awards. Well, of course, there can be only one, and that would be our friend Checo on the radio nonstop, begging to be set forth to attack his teammate, which, of course, would have done neither of them any good. Any more ponies, boys? Uh, Checo, for exactly the same reason, although I'm not sure this quite qualifies for a pony award, but I do want to make the point of it that Renault needlessly milked Jolian Palmer's last race at the end of proceedings. I mean, it's not as if you haven't already punched him in the gut by taking away his drive. You've also whacked him in the face with a sharp stick as he goes out of the team. Thanks for everything. We'll miss you. Oh, stop being so ridiculously over-emotional. You fired the bloke. Let him leave with his things in a box. I heard that, speaking of his things, I heard they took parts off his car to save them for signs as well. Exactly. Yeah, that's super, super awkward. Matt, I think we've just about got time for comment of the week. Comment of the week. I made the letters in the show notes super, super big this week, so I wouldn't forget it. Right. Um, and indeed, I have been collecting a comment here and a comment there. Um, let's start with this. And before we go on, I do have to say I apologize because when it comes to thing of the week, one thing I did want to mention was that Haas double points moved up a place in the Constructors Championship and they should be they should be applauded for that because good for them. Uh, and that was all done to that lovely Magnus move that we all agree was completely above board and kosher and not at all illegal. Um, uh, we're going to start early. Uh, Sam Watley. Watley. Erickson would accidentally load up cruise ship simulator and head off into the sea when we were discussing using simulators to drive the cars. Uh, when we were talking about Carlos Sainz, Christopher Fonseca. Sainz is basically messing up the house before the next tenants move in. Uh, you know what move. Um, and then Sam Watley again. Carlos Sainz would give Irvine a run for his money in the after party. Get in. Who are we giving it to, Matt? Um, I think we're going to have to go with Manolo Besseling, a brand new participant in the chat room for I'm sure Ferrari will have an explanation for all of their bad luck, and it certainly isn't their own fault. Well done there. He's not new. He's been in here before. He's been in and out. I bet that's a Danish name. I think that is Belsing. But well done to you. Feel free to add that to your Twitter handle. You have. Comment of the week. 
guys. Thank you very much for listening. I won't be here next week as I will be in Manchester all weekend in a carnival of science and scepticism at QEDCon. Yes, I will sit and listen patiently to you normally about cheese and chakras, but I get one weekend a year where I get to go, no, that's silly, and sit with a bunch of grumpy other people saying that magic isn't real. I think Chris Stevens and Matt Trumpets are going to ably fill in and see if they can get Summers in as well. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast. Don't rely on me to put it out on social media. If you go to at MissedApexF1, the subscription information is on the pinned tweet. Also, if you go to MissedApexPodcast.com, you will get information on how to make sure it's delivered to your phone every single week. So I will see you. What's the next race, Matt? Is it Austin or Mexico? It's Mexico. I don't know. Chris Stevens is mouthing something into his microphone because he forgot the mute button exists. It's Austin. It's Austin. Come on. So I will see you for the Austin race review, unless I can get hold of Joe Saywood before then. Uh, But until next time, remember that wounds heal, chicks dig scars, and glory lasts forever. This was Missed Apex. Jake, you win doing that. (laughs) <laughs> it's the only award you'll win. And also, you'll be pleased to hear that the next Missed Apex karting event is running ballast. Oh, amazing. I'm so going to beat you all because I won't need any. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> well, you don't know where we're setting the weight limit yet. You're, 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 oh. you're, it's somewhat generous to think we're basically going to add an extra person in just so that you can be equal. <laughs> uh, the suspension will only take so much on the cars. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 